0: Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media, Internet Broadcast Network.
1: Hello world, this is Zero,
2: and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Hacker Public Radio. You've listened to it enough, I'm sure. You'll love the shows, but what makes it different from other podcasts? It's produced by the community. That's right, people just like you. There's no restrictions on how long the show could be, nor on the topic it could cover, as long as they are of interest to hackers so easy to contribute to. Just go to HackerPublicRadio.org and click on Contribute.
1: All the information you need is right there.
0: Everybody and welcome to another edition of Linux in the Ham Shack. My name is Richard, KB5JBV, and I am one and only one of the hosts of this particular extravaganza. Let me introduce you to my counterpart. Deep in the woods of Arkansas, please welcome Russ, K5TUX. Say hello, Russ.
3: Hi, everybody. This is Russ K5TUX from deep in the pine forest between the peaks of north central Arkansas. And it's a good January 25th of 2011. So back down to Ball Springs. How's it going for you?
0: Oh, pretty good. My feet are still cold, but they stay cold all the time. It's a, it's a, let me tell you, it's a sweltering 36 degrees down here tonight. And, uh, and I just, I have no idea. I just, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm just excited. I've had a productive week, mostly on the other website, but that's okay. We're going to post, uh, we've been putting some videos up on the other website and Russ has given me permission to put them on the LHS website. So we're going to like put them over there too. Maybe he'll learn something.
3: I I can always learn something.
0: I doubt you're going to learn anything from me because I haven't got a clue, but that's okay. We've got folks in the chat room. We've got people listening in the live stream. We got the most people in the live stream that we've had in some time. Russ tells me. And, uh, I am just, I'm, I'm just so excited. I want to jump out of my skin. I'm just, oh, oh my, I'm enthusiastic. So what's going on in your world, Russ?
3: Well, not a whole lot, except we're really getting knee-deep into this Mid-America GNU Linux Networkers Conference thing. Ooh, MagnetCon. Yeah, MagnetCon. Definitely getting uh, very, very far into it, and there's a lot of work to be done, but it's going to be good. We have a bunch of media sponsors now. Uh, Linux Journal and all the Linux new media magazines are on board, you know, like Ubuntu User and Linux Pro and all those guys. And, uh, so things are going along and we're going to get there. It's just, you know, taking a lot of time,
0: but we'll do it. Well, there you go. And it, it is picking up y'all. And I'm glad to see that there's a bunch of Linux fest popping up in, in, uh, we- if y'all were in here live and y'all probably hear it at the beginning of the, this episode, when it comes up out as podcast, uh, the, uh, ILS, the, uh, Indiana Linux fest is chugging right along. MagnetCon's coming along. Uh, I'm sure some of the others are, are just, uh, uh, brewing away. I um, I really wish we had one in Dallas. You know, we got the one they call Texas Linux fest, but they have it all the way down in Austin. That's a pretty good drive when, uh, gas prices are
3: the way they are and we're a pretty big state. so remember last week or two weeks ago when you threw your pen behind the computer in the back corner you might want to do that again grippy man that's right i'm going to be gripey because you're clicking let, your pen let me does the sharpie make noise yes it does crap <laughs> suck down some more of that beer you'll be fine
0: How about this is that
3: yeah, that that's pretty obnoxious, too. If, if, if you're, if you're going to do that, go back to the pen.
1: Where is... Badger.
0: Oh, damn, I said...
1: Badger. Oh, Badger. Oh, Badger.
0: I said, damn. <laughs> Welcome to Linux in the Ham Shack. <laughs> I'll sit here and fumble my food dog. How about that? I bet that ends up in the, in the all-night feed. The food dog thing, not the...
3: Well, I'm not going to cut that out. Circling bad words.
0: Fumbling a, your food
3: dog is probably going to be the name of this episode.
0: Fumbling the food dog. Well, I could think of a lot of good ones. Silence of the hams. Oh, no! No, you can't have silence of the H- hams. I'm going to name an article of that.
3: You know, the funny thing is, remember when we started this thing and you asked me what what I should or what we were going to call it? Um, and you said the only thing you could come up with was Linux in the ham shack, and you couldn't think of anything better.
0: Actually, I had a reason for that. What's that? Well, uh if you think back, I told you that I was kind of partial to Linux in the ham shack. And for those of you who have been around Linux a little while, y'all are probably familiar with who Marlon Dunn is. Marlon Dunn. And uh Marlon had a podcast which wasn't real well produced, but it was on a while. It was called Linux on the Desktop. And Marlin, because he was disabled and he was having some uh, medical issues and stuff, had discontinued that program uh three or four years ago. We still carry on the tradition by having the name Linux in the Ham Shack. But I digress. What was your point, Russ? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't know if I had a point exactly, except that I was thinking that it would be shorter and maybe introduce a little bit of wordplay into the title if instead of we were called Linux in the Ham Shack, we were called Linux for hams. Probably a little late now to introduce that little bombshell.
0: Yeah, but the problem is with that, uh, Linux for hams probably wouldn't work out because a lot of times we go beyond what it takes for ham radio operators to be using Linux. Uh, Well, that's kind of the point, though, because ham
3: doesn't just mean amateur radio operator.
0: Well, yeah, I smell bacon burning sometimes around here,
3: and Brenda tells me it's me. See, so you're kind of a ham in the non amateur radio you know sense of the word okay so we we've just
0: gone way off the deep end. Let's try and get this thing back on back on track, of course, uh, rambling's what we do best. you know, I know one show that actually charged two dollars per episode for a podcast where they just rambled about stuff. And they actually made money with it and have become quite successful since then, uh, which is I guess works out because their main show has gotten really, really poor. I'm not going to mention them people, so can we do if, that too? Excuse me, can we do that too? Well, we could if we could convince more people to call in and get online with i mean we've done one or two roundtables, and we would like to get folks in here if we had a had something to talk about. Antenna model, uh, In the chat room, we were asked a question about the antenna modeling software. Well, as far as antenna modeling software, I have not attempted to use it yet because I'm not familiar with the antenna modeling software. And since I do not build, I'm a wire antenna guy. Let's just put it that way. I'm a wire antenna guy. So if I decide to build myself a wire antenna, I'm going to take me a piece of wire, I'm going to measure it out to my needs, I'm going to cut it, I'm going to solder it, I'm going to stick a coax on it, and I'm off to the races. Let me give you an example. Since we're just throwing information out at this point, are you all ready? There's an antenna out there called a delta loop. The delta loop in its ideal configuration is a triangle-shaped wire loop antenna. Uh, the triangle-shaped wire loop antenna uh, can also, also be stretched out in a square, and a reflector can be added to it. And at that point, it becomes a quad antenna, a cubical quad antenna. Now, back to the delta loop antenna. For designing the delta loop antenna, first you need uh the wire. And the way you figure the length of the delta loop antenna is to take, let me remember, 1,005 divided by the frequency in megahertz. And that, is, that will give you the length of your wire for your delta loop antenna. But wait, there's more. When you uh, attach the two ends of the delta loop antenna down at the end, you won't be it will not have a 50 ohm feed point impedance. It will have a 100 ohm impedance. Now this is easy enough to get by. In the case of uh the old days, and when I say the old days 20 years ago, uh what we used to do was take a piece of RG59, RG59, which is 75 ohms, 75 ohms. And we would take that piece of RG59, cut it to one-quarter wavelength times the velocity factor. So once we cut it by the velocity factor, it came up a little bit shorter than a quarter wavelength. And it would act as a transformer to bring that 100 ohm feed point impedance down to 50 ohms by the time it
3: reached the 50 ohm coaxial line. Before you get too far into this, you're kind of yeah. you're talking about some high level stuff here. And one of the things I'm interested in is velocity factors because if anybody knows anything about the testing program that they do, especially for the extra exam, uh-huh. stuff like velocity factor actually comes into that quite a
0: bit. Yeah, well, velocity factor is not a big deal. It uh, Let's see. Let me slip into RF mode here. Okay, velocity factor. Everybody knows that radio frequencies in free space move at the speed of light or radio waves. Um, the electromagnetic waves, which come from an antenna in free space without any encumbrances, move at the speed of light. What ends up happening is when you take it, take that radio wave, that electromagnetic energy and you push it through a conductor of any kind or a dielectric of any kind, you end up with a velocity factor. And what the velocity factor is is basically the difference between the speed at which it moves in free space and the speed it moves through that conductor or whatever. Now, in the case of RG58, in most cases, the velocity factor is 0.66. Now, if you take a quarter wave, quarter wavelength of a coax at 10 meters, 10 meters, neighborhood of 28, 100 megahertz, it's roughly 8 feet long. Now, if you take that 8 feet and you multiply that 8 feet times 0.66, you end up with an actual electrical quarter wavelength for that coaxial cable. Works the same way with stranded number 12 wire or hard line or just about anything that you're going to push that energy through. So in the case of velocity factors, they're not a big deterrent because they're one of those things that's kind of simple that everybody uh, turns into a, a mystery. In most cases, if you know the coax that you're using and you can get your hands on a coax chart, realistic or Radio Shack, most of the, even uh, Times Microwave, who makes LMR uh, cable, the LMR 400, 200, that kind of stuff, you ought to be able to get a coax chart from them, which will show you what the velocity factor is. In the case of just running it down to get it to the antenna, a lot of times, at least in my experience, a lot of times the velocity factor of a piece of coax doesn't make that much of a difference. But in the case of, like we were talking about a while ago, matching a delta-loop antenna, it is possible to use the velocity factor to create an electrical quarter-wave length of coax and use that, in essence, as a ballon to convert the 100... Ohm feed point to the fifty ohm coax questions.
3: I don't know. All I heard was blah 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 velocity factor, blah blah blah, coax, <laughs>
0: blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I forget you're you're a software guy, not a hardware.
3: Guy. <laughs> um according to Wikipedia and based on the ARL's radio amateur handbook, the velocity factor percentage of ladder line Is 95, twin lead 82, uh, foam polyethylene dielectric coax, 79, and solid polyethylene coax, 66.
0: So I was right. Well, I
3: figured you were.
0: Foam polyethylene coax. About the only place I've ever seen that was uh, RG8, which is that quarter-inch 50-ohm line.
3: I've got some RG8. I've got a string up here. I have no no idea what kind of dielectric is in it, but I know the the outer um, casing uh-huh. is clear, so you can see the copper braid, the whole length of the cable. It's kind of cool looking.
0: Okay, for you guys that have been in AM radio for a while, I'm fixing to make the joke. Russ might not get it, but I'm sure y'all will. Russ, don't look into the waveguide. <laughs>
3: Eh, eh crap. <laughs> oh, you mean this here?
1: It's crap.
3: <laughs> Thank
0: you, Fab. Yeah, we're letting him in on the show. I don't have to do it anymore. We got we got a clip of him, y'all. Alright. So we we were talking about uh antenna modeling. Antenna modeling. Yes, uh unfortunately I haven't approached that yet because uh I got a buddy named Jay over here in uh, Sunnyvale. He runs a company called Array Solutions. They do a lot of military contracts and stuff like that, but they also do uh, also do amateur radio antennas for uh, some of the the bigger guys around here, Texas Baptist men, that kind of stuff. And he's been trying for years to get me pinned down to go take a look at at antenna antenna. I need another beer. Trying to pin me down to teach me some antenna modeling software, and I just haven't had the time.
3: Hey, um, this this doesn't have anything to do with antenna modeling exactly. Well, maybe it does. But there's a an application in Linux called LinSmith, which is a Smith chart generator. Yeah, don't even get me started on Smith charts. Well, uh, I don't think we want to go too deep into Smith charting right now, but if somebody needs this... It's called Lin Smith, Like I said, it's actually in the Debian repositories, version or 0.99.7. and this is actually uh, it's uh, GNOME apps written with GTK, and it's one of the coolest looking Linux applications I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, it, I mean it works really well. My my problem is where most people um, find. Velocity factors and coax and wire and stuff like that to be a mystery. Smith charts. I've never been able to, to comprehend Smith charts. So I always talk somebody into doing it for me.
3: Yeah. Well, this has got information on doing uh, load calculation by frequency, circuit, uh, circuit values for capacitors, resistors, inductors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Looks like a very, very uh, full fledged. Uh, circuit design Smith chart, uh, application. So for anyone who needs that kind of thing, check out Lynn Smith. Y'all have to
0: understand I come from the Ninja School amateur radio. Ninja School am amateur radio dictates that you take it. And try and use it, and if it don't work, then you try something else with it. And if that don't work, you look at it and you go, "Well, you know what? If I do this, it might it might not never work again. But if I don't do it, it won't work
3: anyway. So let's give it a shot." Wrap some copper wire around a toilet tube, toilet paper tube, and call it a ballon, and that's how everything works. Maybe.
0: <laughs> See, that's not <something> males. <laughs> or at least, uh,
3: at least an air core inductor. We're we're talking about the mysteries of amateur
0: radio at the moment. Ain't no telling how this show is going to come out. Um, Henry Allen, K five B U uh, G, down here, and uh, I got a picture of me with him at Belton one year somewhere. Anyway, um, he he was the guy that built the Texas Bug Catchers, and his were the real deal. They were not the knockoffs. They they were the real Texas Bug Catchers. And he and I sat down at a at a ham fest one time, and he's sitting there, and he's trying to t- tell me how to wind these coils
3: on these bug catchers.
0: Do, are you familiar with bug catchers, uh, Russ?
3: No, I am not. I mean, I, I understand the concept, but, no, I haven't seen one, or I'm not familiar with them. Well, they've got this great big air-wound coil, and it,
0: it'd be kind of like a, a hustler mast with a, a coil on top of it about the size of a five-pound coffee can. And the way you tune this antenna is by moving a jumper up and down on this coil. And they're like I said, they're air wound, they've got uh, the clear plastic stuff. Polyethylene? No. The clear plastic stuff. Saran wrap?
3: Plexiglass. Plexiglass, okay.
0: Anyway, they got the plexiglass spreaders and and they're they're good big round coils. The bigger the bigger the coil the better. And he sat for two hours one day trying to teach me or tell me how he figured out how these coils needed to be wound. Because I was working on a project, Plexiglass. That's it, Bill. For those of y'all who are wondering about the the mysteries of Plexiglass, Bill will make sure there's a link in the show notes. Y'all don't forget. So, anyway, he, he sat there for a couple hours trying to tell me how to wind this coil that I was needing. And I never could comprehend it. I'm just not smart enough. Ninja school. Ninja school of amateur radio.
3: You probably get it close enough to work. It's possible. But
0: not probable. (laughs) (laughs) It's far easier for me to hang two pieces of wire in there and start snipping the ends off until until I get a one-to-one SWR. And, oh, well, we could talk about SWR, too.
3: See, I didn't even have to worry about that. I went and got the Alpha Delta uh Delta X-Ray Charlie Charlie, DXCC. I want an Alpha Delta antenna. You should get one. I got the DXCC, which is the 80-meter multiband. I mean, they have the one that does 160 meters, but I just use my tuner for going down to 160. The best thing about it was you didn't have to, I mean, if you really wanted to futz with it, with your swr meter you could get out there and fold the ends over a little bit so you get perfect uh, swr on your 80 meters but for me it was pretty close without doing a lot of tweaking and i have an auto tuner in my radio so i didn't worry about it too much and i was moving up from a g5 rv so i really didn't care that much because <clears throat> the g5 rv is about three to one over the whole spectrum but as far as installing the DXCC, all you have to do is put spacers on the three wires that come off the, uh, the spacer in the center, hook up your coax, throw it up in the air, preferably. You know, you don't really want to run it ground wave or anything like that. It, it's good on pretty much every band between 80 and 10. Uh, I have a little bit of trouble with it on 30. It doesn't like to tune up very well on 30, but it wasn't really designed for 30 either. So you should get one. They're good.
0: And how much time do you spend running code on 30 Russ?
3: Uh, I only run whisper on 30.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, okay.
3: <laughs> Why should I be running code on 30? Am I going to hear you there?
0: No, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> it's been a good day for me. Y'all, y'all, we could, we done rambled for 20 minutes and y'all didn't even know it. <laughs> hey, hey, I see. Well, yeah, there's Barker Williams out there and and others. The great antennas. Um, let me tell you, y'all, I had dipoles for 75, 40, 20, 10, all up at the same time, and now I'm using a G five RV. The upside of the forty meter antennas, it uh, it thinks it's a fifteen meter antenna. So, and as far as working twelve and seventeen, I I could get some of the others to tune there but that's the whole deal antennas antennas i'm glad you brought up antenna modeling because that gave us 20 minutes to ramble and smith charts i don't know enough about them to say anything so with that i think we probably need to take a short break and we'll be right back <coughs> So and now we just need to figure out what we're going to ramble about for another 20 minutes, and we can do some email, and there we'll have it. We'll have it all in a bit. Oh, Bill's over there showing off in the chat room. He's got a 135-foot doublet. That'll work
3: 160. It should. See, that's the thing. You know, we've solved the whole antenna modeling thing. You don't need anything. Bill says you get a 135-foot doublet, and antenna modeling becomes irrelevant.
0: I would think at 135 feet at doublet. I don't remember, Bill. Is it center fed or is it in fed or off center fed? It will work 160, but it's very narrow. Well, 160 is not very, not a very wide band. <laughs> 20 meter folded dipole. I was trying to find some information on
3: building some folded dipoles, but never could find any. Center fed with window line and that comes out 50 ohm without any special stuff. I ask bill in the chat room who will shortly answer. Well, that's okay because due to the magic of editing, the wait for bill
0: to answer will not be that long. That's right. It will be very short. In fact, the answer has already come. Wire antennas something? We don't talk about much. What? I don't have a 300 ohm input impedance. If you did, you'd have cook finals. No, because I'd go find a
3: radio that would handle it. <laughs> yeah, don't don't worry about it, fi- figuring out how to fix your impedance mismatch. Just buy something pre-solid state that'll take whatever abuse you throw at it.
0: Well, see, that right there is something that I probably needed to know. See, I was going to build a folded dipole for 20 meters so I could get, the,
3: get it good and quiet. See, Bill says I he can- needs a 4-to-1 ballon for that, which means he's running about 200 ohm coming in off his... Off his doublet. Right. And see, we don't normally,
0: you just dive off into what's going on in the chat room, y'all. But this is turning into a good conversation. We need to get all these guys hooked up where we can get them online at the same time without blowing all of Russ's stuff up.
3: Hey, if they can call into Skype, they're welcome too.
0: Okay. Y'all start dialing then. And <laughs>
3: I don't have a problem with getting people into Skype. It's just nobody ever wants to. I guess we are, we are kind of talking like during the show. So maybe we should put out some kind of content
0: and, and there you have it. See, uh, Bill mentioned in the chat room, he's using an LDG auto tuner and it uh, pretty much handles that doublet that he's running. And I have a little experience with the LDG tuners. I have an LDG uh, auto tuner on my, on my Yazoo because I bought the one that went with it and it was a piece of crap. It wouldn't even tune a G5 RV because the G5 RV's uh, SWR at any given time is outside the range
3: at which that Yaesu
0: tuner would tune. So if anybody's in the market for a Yaesu auto tuner, let me know.
3: (laughs) The the auto tuner in my 570 will tune almost anything. Like I said, it it tends to have a little bit of a problem on 30 meters, but it will tune it. And, of course, I'm only running Whisper over it, so that's only 5 watts. So the chances of me burning up my radio on on a 4 to 1 SWR pretty small. At least it works.
0: Well, anyway, on the folded dipole, that uh that was the reason I was looking to build one is mainly to get uh get my noise down. So that's one of the reasons I've been thinking about delta loops again is simply because it uh, a closed antenna one that's not open. A uh, closed loop type antenna that includes folded dipoles and uh, delta loops. Uh, tend to have more uh, noise rejection on the man made noise size and uh, give you quieter, quieter receive. All right. So we've run our heads about that. Are you, uh, while I'm thinking about it, I'm no, sorry.
3: no, no, no. I have, you, you have to do something else before we move on. What? Okay. Since there are people who listen to this show who are not, you know, amateur radio gearheads, but who actually like some of the Linux content and everything else. Uh but they're into learning stuff, Uh you should go into a brief explanation of the impedance of different kinds of transmission line and what standing wave ratio means, and then we can move on.
0: Yeah, we went all amateur radio on y'all for a minute there, didn't we, kids? Impedance of transmission lines. There are multiple transmission lines out there, and what a transmission line is is it's a piece of wire that runs from a radio To an antenna. Now, you may think, these guys have got like CB radios and CB antennas, and they got this wire that goes between them. Well, it's not exactly like that. Uh, You have a transceiver or transmitter-receiver combination, and it runs to an antenna of some sort. Now, it's not just like the radios we use. It is like the uh, uh, radios that the police department use. Uh, the radios that a commercial uh, radio station might use, well, until not too terribly long ago, like the wire that connected a cell phone to the external antenna on your car because a cell phone is a radio. Now, you do have different impedances depending on the actual feed point impedance of the radio and the antenna. Unfortunately, this show is far too short to go into a A complete and utter uh, discussion of impedances. But the most common ones are uh, 50 ohm, which is used mostly for communications, radio communications. And in some cases, 75 ohm, which more often than not, if you have cable television or you have a satellite dish on your house, you have 75 ohm cable running either in through the, through the cable input or from your satellite antenna. Don't worry your pretty little heads too much about it, other than the fact that if we're talking about coaxial cable or feed line or something like it, well, there's a 300-ohm ribbon line, which for those of you that are a little older is what would have run from your television antenna to your television. And then there's ladder line, which doesn't get used near as much as it ought to be nowadays. So, well, the reason yep. ladder
3: line doesn't get used is because people aren't necessarily familiar with it. But what is interesting about ladder line over typical coaxial cable is that your loss over a given distance is much lower with ladder line, which is why it's overall better. But a lot of people who hook up an antenna probably don't even understand uh, how balance work to uh, mitigate the differences in impedance. But we should probably move on from that and talk a little bit about s w r and then go somewhere else
0: well, standing wave ratio or s w r is a little bit it a little bit easier to understand. you've got a signal going down a line and you uh when it gets to the other end, not all that signal can get out, so what ends up happening is some of the signal will may migrate back up the line when the signal migrates back up the line what you end up having is two signals that are technically out of phase, electrically out of phase, and can cause a, oh, doggone it. The way I always tell myself is that, you know, when I was a kid, I loved cars. And if you were going to race cars on the street, which we were able to do when I was a teenager, uh, one of the things you needed to take into account was your exhaust system. And in the case of your exhaust system, The more stuff you put in line in that exhaust system, the greater the chances you would create back pressure. Now, what I mean is, is that if you had a straight pipe that was of sufficient diameter, there was no buildup of pressure anywhere along the system because it would come straight out of the exhaust manifold into the exhaust pipe. Uh, it would dissipate out the tail end, tail end of that pipe. But if you added things like a muffler and then a catalytic converter, if you had kinks or bends in that pipe or anything else, it would cause the gases not to move as efficiently down that tailpipe and would cause the pressure in places to begin to rise. Well, that's a good definition. Um, I don't so know if i call that a definition. It was more of an analogy. Yeah, well, no, I was talking about in the chat room. Oh, and, um,
3: <laughs> I guess I should look so, at the chat room.
0: So in the, in the case of SWR, um, all it stands for is standing wave ratio. When you have a signal coming back while you have signal going out, uh, the combination of the two can cause what's known as a standing wave on the feed line. And, uh, it's not a great thing. Now we were talking about SWR a while ago and I'm one to one is what, everybody seems to think is the perfect SWR and the guy, one of the guys that was my Omer, when he found out I was using a tuner and I kept telling him, I said, look, something's wrong with this tuner. Uh, I can't, I don't get the most power out when I get it tuned where the SWR is one-to-one standing, standing wave ratio is one-to-one. And he said, well, you know, that's not always the best. Because as we got to talking about it, I was explaining to him that I achieved maximum power out from my radio at 1.2 to 1. Uh, the different, it would make the difference between 90 watts and 100 watts on one of these big healthy Kenwoods I used to use. And there you go. So if you're using a tuner, using a manual tuner, shoot for one, shoot for 1.2 to 1. I know all these automatic tuners are, are doing their best to get one to one, but that never really worked out for me.
3: Well, it also kind of depends on what or how good your antenna is matched. Your antenna and your feed line are matched to your radio because where you're losing your power output is the circuitry involved in the antenna tuner trying to make that impedance match closely. But in doing so, you can lose some of your transmission power inside the antenna tuner trying to make that match perfect. So, And most radios can handle an SWR of about 2-to-1 without exploding or catching fire or anything like that. So you, you may actually get more power out of the radio, or out of the antenna rather, by not having a perfect 1-to-1 match, but one that's not quite as lossy inside the tuner. Well, that
0: and something else we need to address on this. And this is pertinent to computer equipment also for you guys that are here for the computer part of our program, but it's, it's pertinent to all electronics or any kind of anything that uh, has to do with the uh, uh, current and, and voltage and that kind of is that <clears throat> we were talking about velocity factor earlier in feed lines. And I told y'all that just about any. F- type of wire or circuit in any kind of circuit path has, uh, has a problem with, uh, the velocity being different as far as the velocity of the signal moving down through the system. And what you end up with is dissipation. The energy that can't be used in the circuit dissipates. It finds a way to, uh, turn into some other form of energy. Yes, that's why most electronic components generate some sort of heat. My particular, the cell phone I've got, and uh, even one of the handhelds I've got over here, gets hotter than a firecracker when I use it for extended periods of time, and... This is one of the reasons we want to keep a low transmission line, low antenna impedances in place. Uh, we don't want to use, uh, wiring that is too small for the load we're going to put on it and that kind of stuff. Now, these are all things you have to take into consideration and we don't talk near enough about the hardware where computers are concerned. I understand the show is Linux and the ham shack. So we need to be talking about ham radio stuff or we need to be talking about Linux and Linux and open source software and stuff like that. But one thing we don't pay near enough attention near enough attention to is the hardware involved in uh, in the in what we're doing with these computers and that kind of stuff.
3: So uh, yeah, I've had more than one computer burn up. How about you, Russ? <laughs> I've actually been pretty good about letting out the blue smoke. It hasn't happened in quite a while. Well, you know, since we're uh, heavy amateur radio this evening, I'll
0: relate a field day story to y'all. Back in uh, 1989, I was invited to go to the Ham Association of Mesquites field day over at um, one of the parks over here in Mesquite. And the person that invited me was my father, KT5P, who at that time was KG5KY, I believe, or yeah, KG5KY. And he was running mobile packet radio out of his, off the tailgate of his truck out there. And it was over a hundred degrees and he was using a Commodore 64 and all this other good stuff. And unfortunately, because of the heat involved and everything else is he would have to go for an hour or two hours or whatever. And then he would have to switch out those Commodore 64s because he was burning them up. He was completely burning them up. It was too hot outside. Uh, he couldn't dissipate enough heat fast enough. And what ended up happening is he would uh, cook the chips on the uh, main board. He'd have to take that one, toss it over in the bed of the truck, and pull out another one and start over again. And apparently Russ is having a seizure. Are you okay, Russ?
3: Oh, I'm just fine. I was trying to find a, uh, a sound bite to go with your explanation of exploding commodore 64s but i didn't get quite to it well, there you go i've had
0: chips blow up on the board on radios while
3: i was using them and everything else
0: believe it or not russ i think uh considering you may not have to cut a whole lot out of what we've done so far uh we may have this one wrapped up pretty quick so y'all go ahead and uh go get you something to drink and we'll be right back <laughs> We're we're on our way to the beginning of the end I just hope I don't get sued by the CW Because that's what they're using for Smallville this year Or the end of the beginning Something Anyway So let's get on to feedback uh, we, we got a few I got a few Russ got a few We're going to see who's got what and when and how
3: So what do you got over there Russ? I've got a voice feedback we could play Let's play the voice feedback all right, let me uh, let me see how this works here. Got to push this button and then push this button right here, and then we should hear something.
2: Hey, uh, Richard and Russ, this is uh, Fraser. I'm just calling to leave you guys a message uh, to thank you guys for all the work you do on um, on the LHS podcast. Um, I I don't have a call sign yet. I'm actually was unable to go to the uh, the classes that were offered in my area. Um, and uh, so I'm actually using ham test online and I'm hoping to probably take the test uh, in the beginning of the year. Um, just a quick reference, today is the uh, 29th of December. And I, I was mainly calling, I was talking to Richard in the um, in the IRC and I really wanted to actually express to both, you know, I told Richard and I wanted to express to both of you that I, I really thank you guys for uh, for putting out the podcast. I, I came across it goodness, probably Six months or more ago, um, just randomly. I don't even remember how I came across it. I just know it was randomly. And I had never really, I, I honestly never knew there was an alternative to Windows or, or Mac. Um, and, you know, I, I had known about ham radio. I was interested in it. Uh, I used to use, um, when I lived out west, I used to use uh, CD radios all the time, but, you know, they're limiting and not quite as much fun. Um, but, so I really—it was you guys and your podcast that really kind of um, pushed me that extra step to first of all try Linux because I'd never really heard of it, and um, and also to start learning about ham radio. And I've really been enjoying the ride and enjoying the the podcast. And uh, you know, I'm just kind of proud to say that just this past um, weekend, over the Christmas weekend, I completely um, got off. Windows. I was dual booting for a long time, and I just completely, you know, backed everything up, uh, ran D-Band on the computer. Don't know why that was probably not, not needed, but um, and installed um solely Ubuntu um 10, 1010 on on my uh, laptop. It's a uh, you know, it's a, it's a decent laptop, and it, it works even better under um, Linux, and it does with um with Windows on any day of the week. And uh, you know, I I was so impressed with um, the open source community and how support how they support everyone, and just um, so happy with what I was able to get without having to pay outrageous licensing fees and agree to these crazy EULAs. That I even uh, flashed the firmware on my iPod, and I'm running Rockbox. Um, the one thing, pretty much the only piece of hardware in my house that isn't running some form of open source or Linux is my router mainly because it's one of those Linksys routers that isn't compatible with any um, firmware um, that or is reported not to work well on most of it. So you know I just haven't done that yet. I'm still looking for, for stuff. Um, but yeah, I' just really enjoyed the podcast and really really um, enjoyed um, learning from you guys and'm um, loving Linux um, and everything it has to offer. I want to thank you guys for the exposure and uh, for you know bringing me to a much better, um, better world when it comes to computing. You guys take care. I hope you had a good Christmas, and I'm looking forward to the next show. I'm going to try to um, hit up the uh, chat room while your um, audio feed's going live this time. And um, just a quick kind of suggestion, if I'm not taking up too much time, you can cut me out if you have to. Um, would be, um, it would be nice to see. I don't know if of you have it. I just haven't found it on your website. But some kind of, whether it's like a, uh, a way to subscribe through, like, Google Calendar or your calendar application um, to the shows, I mean, it doesn't have to obviously have all the shows in it, but just a way for, you know, I, I don't, I'm not 100% sure how this would work, so I'm throwing the idea out there, I'm not offering the solution for it. But just some way to have, like, you know, a, a thing go in my calendar so I know when the next show is without having to go to the website and find out and then put it in my calendar um, and even just some way to have it update when you guys, say, schedule a new show, you can, you know, whether you maybe put together a mailing list and send out a uh, calendar, um, like an inven- event request or email, whatever they're called. <laughs> um, I think that would be great just because, you know, it would make it easier to uh, to know when the shows are, to have some kind of um, update that comes up and then have, you know, a reminder, you know, like I could set it up, for example, to remind me in the morning that, you know, at night there's going to be a LHS podcast. So you guys take care. Um, I really enjoy your stuff. Goodbye.
0: Wow. Well, thank you, Fraser. Which Fraser was that, uh, Russ? We got a couple of them.
3: Uh, that was Fraser K. from somewhere up in Canuckland. Oh,
0: well, Fraser, yeah, Fraser and I talk an awful lot on Facebook. That's the first time I've actually heard his voice, though. Yes, he has turned into a real Linux fanboy. And, uh Fraser, uh, as far as those routers are concerned, um I was always told the best one to use under Linux was a WRT54G or one of the variants of that one. Uh I have one like that here. Unfortunately, I haven't had... I've got so many other things blowing up around here, I haven't had a chance to, to fool with it much. But you might give that a shot. So uh what about that calendar thing, Russ? Do you think we might be
3: able to do anything with that? When I listened to this voicemail originally, I immediately set out trying to set up a calendar source of some kind using like .ics files or Google Calendar or something like that. I then completely forgot all about it. So, now that I've heard the voicemail again, I will go ahead and try to set up something where there is a downloadable calendar of our upcoming events, uh, live broadcasts, and so on. That is a good idea, and I think we should implement it somehow. I just need to get around to doing it. Thanks, Fraser, for all the kind words you said about the podcast and being a listener, and I'm glad you have mostly defenestrated your entire existence uh that's a very good way to go so sayeth we all i wish you
0: wouldn't say defenestrated Sounds like something we used to do to pigs down here
3: defenestrate is a good it's i mean it's such a great play on words i mean i could i can't think of a better way to describe divesting yourself of windows
0: yeah but uh makes my nether region suck up
3: i thought that was like detesticle eight uh,
0: castration is what we call it down here.
3: Well, castrate doesn't sound like to fenestrate at all. Well, D D something. Oh crap. Anyway, I need another beer. <laughs> anyway, uh, yes, we'll work on that. And, uh, thanks for the kind words and I'm glad that you've, uh, removed windows from your life and let us know when you get your license. So we can, we can laud you. We can give you high praise.
0: I know that Fraser will probably tell me the second he gets his license, he'll tell me about it on Facebook.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he will. So is there anything else to say about that one, or shall we move on? That was a four-minute and 50-second email or voicemail.
0: Well, just let me say this. Fraser is a diehard Linux fanboy, and we are glad that we have been able to create at least one. That's the way it works in amateur radio. That's the way you Linux guys need to be working on it. If we can get one ever so often, and we get enough of them, before long, they'll be running for cover in Redmond.
3: All right. So what else have we got, Russ? Well, we've got this one here from somebody who, oh, this is from Mitch, KC2MBN. Hilo, Charlie 2, Mike, Bravo, November. Rich and Russ, I enjoy listening to your show, Linux in the Ham Shack. I am an amateur extra, but is new to Linux, but am new to Linux. I read in the January issue of CPU, Computer Power User Magazine, of a new Linux distribution called Pingui OS for novice Linux users. Did you ever discuss this distro in any of your shows? Their website is www.pinguios.com, as you might expect. It is Ubuntu-based and comes with more applications than the usual Ubuntu installation disk. I install Windows 7 on a new one terabyte hard drive in a desktop PC, which I built from computer parts and some older hard drives. I wanted to dual-boot Pingui on the new hard drive, but the installation was not user-friendly to a novice Linux user. Okay, earlier on he said it was an OS for novice Linux users, and here he says it's not friendly to novice Linux users. That's interesting. The sliding scale to partition between Windows and Linux was not functional, and I tried to partition manually. It did install, and I like the 64-bit version of Penguin. But several problems occurred. While booting, it opens up in an Ubuntu boot manager with an option for Windows 7. Then it opens up a Windows boot manager with options for Windows 7 and Vista. And then you finally choose between Windows 7. And before it goes into Windows, it does a scan disk check for disk consistency. I realize this configuration is very unstable, since if I forget just one time to use the escape button before going to scan disk, Windows just might erase some of my hard disk. What resulted was 652 gigabyte NTFS, 278 gigabyte extended, 267 gigabyte EXT4, and 11 gigabytes of Linux swap, which is hugely too much swap. Uh, I only wanted 300 gigabytes for Linux. I then used GPart Editor to resize my Pingui OS, but I got an error message while booting NT Loader, and had to reinstall Windows. I also want to back up my Windows files, and I don't think you can back up both Linux and Windows files on the same disk to an external backup hard drive. And even if you can, I don't want to make it more difficult for myself. I have second thoughts on dual booting Windows and Linux. I have an older laptop, Pentium M, with 40 gig hard drive that I just might install Linux on completely, and then learn and play around with it without crashing both Linux and Windows. Do you think I should dual boot? What Linux distribution should I get? What do you think of a Linux laptop distribution? What are your views? Rich and Russ wishing you a happy new year. Mitch, Kilo Charlie 2, Mike Bravo November. So, did you get all that? Yeah, for the most part. And uh, thank
0: you, Mitch, uh, for writing in. I haven't had a lot of time to take a good look at this Penguin OS. Uh, it, what it appears to be, and I know this is going to sound redundant is a poly, very polished version of Ubuntu. Like I said, I haven't had a chance to mess with it actually, but taking a look at it, it looks like it's running gnome do and, uh, and, uh, docky and a couple of other things. I also notice it appears to be running, uh, conky. So, I, I mean, it's running conky. It looks like a pretty straightforward uh, uh, GNOME installation, and it's based on Ubuntu. They also have a minimal-sized uh, CD. I'm not sure if it's a live CD or an install CD. Uh, they also have it in uh, DVD size. But as far as laptops are con- concerned, I can only tell you from my experience I've been using Ubuntu pretty successfully on dual boot systems, and I hate to say this right now considering things are uh, a little weird with Ubuntu. But in dual boot situations, I've been using Ubuntu for some time. Right now my laptop has uh, Windows Vista on one side and has uh, Ubuntu 10.04 on the, the other side, and I'm dual booting without any problems at all there. Uh, most of the ones that are targeted at desktop dual boot is probably not going to be a big issue, but you have to be careful. And as far as dual booting, if you have an extra machine, it would be better to take that extra machine, uh, make it a, a Linux only machine and learn the operating system before you get too far into dual booting. Because if you need those windows partitions for something, There's some software that you can't run in Linux that you have to have those Windows Petitions for, which is my situation with my laptop. It would be real easy to wipe that Windows partition. So this is some of the things you might want to uh, take into consideration when you're doing that. I ran completely separate machines, Linux, Windows, for a long time, and now it's gotten to the point if I get one that has Windows on it, I load the Linux on and leave it dual boot in case for some reason I need to get back at that Windows for some reason.
3: Uh, What's your opinion, Russ? I think dual booting shouldn't be anywhere near the problem that he was experiencing with this. I'm not even sure how he managed to wind up getting what sounds like two bootloaders installed because it booted into Grub and then into NT Loader and then you got NT Loader errors. And... Well, I think the problem is really penguin OS, and I guess uh, if the installation process isn't that friendly and it caused all these problems, that penguin is probably not the one to use. I mean, straight Ubuntu is probably a good one to use, at least uh, in the sense of just getting it going because it should just work, especially 10.04 or 10.10. You can always go with Linux Mint or Linux Mint Debian. Those should just work as well. They shouldn't mess up your bootloader, that's for sure, and their installation procedures are very straightforward. Uh, By that same token, CrunchBang uh, is lighter weight, but also has a very easy installation system as well. So those are a good way to go.
0: Well, I really think we can go out on a limb here and say, you know, I'm sure that you probably need to stick with one of the ones that are directly targeted to the newer desktop user whether it's Ubuntu, Linux Mint, Fedora, w- one of the ones that are pointed in the crunch bang, There's a lot of them out there. Of course, one of the things that was brought up by one of the gentlemen in, in the chat room while we were uh, discussing this is the fact that there may be an issue with it trying to track down your rescue partition, and that causes some of the problems also. But I've never really heard of anybody having this much trouble trying to get a dual boot system online. Anyway, uh, keep us, keep us informed on what's going on with this. And, um, if you have any questions, just shoot us an email and we'll see what we can do about it. So with that, my name is Richard, KB5JBV. If you want to contact me, you can contact me at believe it or not, KB5JBV at LHpodcast.info kb5jbv at lhspodcast.info. Or use other email address, which is kb5jbv at gmail.com. Or follow me on the social networks. I'm available on Facebook, Twitter, Identica, all these places. Just look for kb5jbv. And I promise to come out from under my rock, not to hide in the back room of the dry cleaning store or anything else. Y'all come on down and give me a shout. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Russ, and he can give y'all his information.
3: Yeah, this is Russ, K5TUX. And uh, you can find me as J.R. Woodman on most of the social networks out there. I'm also K5TUX at 7 threes.org. You can email me at info at lhspodcast.info. You can also email me at k5tux at lhspodcast.info, but don't do that because Richard feels left out when you do. You can also call 417-200-4811. Make sure to select the correct option for Linux in the handshake, And please note that our menu options have recently changed. I hate to sound like an IVR stereotype, but in fact, our menu options did recently change, like yesterday. So make sure you hit the right option. It's no longer one. Anyway, um, that's about it for that. You can leave a message for us on the website by uh, commenting on a post. You can uh, see when we're going to be streaming live. You can see all kinds of information about us. Our show notes provided by k 9 wka Use the voice line, send us an email, contact us, tell us what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what you think, what you don't think, and I'm rambling. Anyway, this is Russ from the Pine Forest between the peaks of north central Arkansas and I'm going to send it back to Dallas, Texas or southeast Dallas near Mesquite where Richard is going to say, I feel thoroughly
0: abused. Y'all check in next time for Richard to become thoroughly abused once more. This is Richard, KB5JBV, and we'll see y'all next time.